0: Exodus chapter 20. I'll invite you to follow along with me as we read God's word. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and stood far off. And and they said to Moses, you speak to us. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. This is God's word. May He write its truths on our hearts. Let's pray, Father in heaven. We um, we have heard these words. We have seen these words. Um, out certainly outside of the church. Um. These words have been here for decades. They're truth. They're powerful. They're overwhelmingly life-altering. They're beneficial. They're beautiful. And yet before we even consider them, Lord, we want to say to you, we struggle so desperately to keep them. It is so hard for us to not only keep these in mind, but practice these in heart. And so as we come to your word, we come confessing and we come resting in the blood of Jesus and asking that you would take these truths and make them such that they cause us to fall deeper in love with you, Jesus that these words would change our hearts knowing uh, that your Holy Spirit is at work. Father, we pray uh, that you uh, would bless this, our study of your word, and make it uh, to be a a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a story this morning. It's a hard story. I'll tell you that out of the gate. Um, In all the atrocities of human trafficking, um, I've discovered this redemptive story. Uh, I wanted to share it uh, with you. A young woman uh, was up for auction. Uh, She was being bid upon, and as the bids continued to climb and grow to what seemed to be exorbitant amounts, um, the young man who finally won the bid stepped forward to address the woman. And you can only imagine what that interaction uh, must have been like And as the young man approached the woman that he had just purchased, the young woman defiantly looked into his eyes and said, I bet you think you own me. To which the man responded as they walked away, dear, I bought you to set you free. Now, you can imagine how that must have sounded to the woman. Set me free, set me free to what? She exclaimed. And the young man said, Set you free to whatever you want. Wherever you want to go, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to be, it's all yours. You're free. And the young woman said to the man, I, I don't know that kind of freedom. And he responded, well, it's yours to have, it's yours to take, it's yours to live into. And she said to the young man, I want to follow you. Friends, we live In a day and age where freedom may be one of the greatest things that we hold on to, that we we are intrigued by, that we long for, it may be one of the most important aspects of living. But we also live in a time when freedom is defined by trying to live without restraint, Defining everything ourselves, doing whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. And this story that we're gonna look at this morning tells us that God frees his people, but he does it intentionally. He frees his people from something to something, he frees his people from idols to himself so that they want to go with him wherever he chooses i hope we'll see that uh, in this story that is all too familiar to you you've heard it probably many of you have probably heard it since you were a child Uh, two things i want us to see as we study uh, this passage two things i just mentioned freedom from and freedom to Those are going to be our two uh, stops uh, this morning as we study the Ten Commandments. Freedom from uh, and freedom to. The first, freedom from. If you remember at the end of Exodus chapter 2, God's people had multiplied, Israel had multiplied so much so that Egypt and the leaders of Egypt actually became scared. Israel was so great, they feared that there might be some sort of revolt and Egypt would be overthrown. And so you see, early on in the Exodus account, the great oppressor fear is taking hold. But God heard Israel's groanings and began to enact this. Operation Liberation, if you will. We talked about that last week. Uh, Dave led us through uh, the plagues, uh, he led us uh, through the Passover, and he, God orchestrated all this uh, through Moses. This Operation Liberation was set up and structured around idol, um, idol deconstruction. You remember that last week, right? God was targeting idols uh, to reveal that he was the one and only uh, true God. And so he did what uh, to Egypt, to the Pharaoh? He did the inconceivable, right? Turning the Nile River, their their mainstay, their lifeblood, everything uh, that their life centered on, God turned it into blood and that brought about a cycle of Undoing of the created order, right? The Nile and flies and gnats and frogs. Excuse me, I skipped frogs that affected all these things, livestock, and so on down the line until we get to the tenth plague and the the Pharaoh's firstborn, the firstborn throughout the land uh, was affected. And maybe you remember even from last week that the key phrase that Dave kept coming back to was God saying to Egypt and God saying to Pharaoh and God eventually even saying to his people that if I'm not your God whatever is will destroy you if I'm not your God whatever is will destroy you. And so we looked at uh, these, uh, some of these uh, things. God's relentlessness towards our idols is grace. Now we got to stop just for a minute and kind of unpack that because I suspect that a lot of us grew up hearing uh, the opposite of that, that God's got this bend toward like, gotcha, Right? Like, caught you in your sin, gotcha, now gonna punish you. And please understand, friends, when we see this in the Exodus, when we see this in Exodus chapter 20, God pursuing our idols is not gotcha. He's not punishing punishing us because of our, our idolatry. He's actually pursuing us to bring us out of our idolatry. It's a pursuit of grace. And so when we looked at career, and money, and comfort, and being right in our image. God comes after these things because he's gracious, and he wants to free us from them. He's assaulting and deconstructing uh, these things because it's, his grace is meant to be freeing us from that which will kill us. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's great Chad that has nothing to do with the 10 commandments that you just read and I want to suggest to you this morning that it has everything to do with it because if we misunderstand that grace comes before the law then you will never understand what the law is about We'll never understand the beauty of the law. We'll never be able to see its magnificence and its glory if we don't see that God from the get-go set forth that grace is coming before the law. Freedom from bondage and oppression and chaos and sin, the grace of this liberty, this freedom from this idol is the only way we're going to see the grace in what we're freed to. So freed from bondage, oppression, chaos, sin. Freed to what? Life and truth and love. I want you to look with me if you if you've got Bibles in front of you at verses one and two. This is the ultimate rewind. Uh, for God's people it's the ultimate rewind for us you know when you watch a movie and you get to that point in the movie uh, where the main character says this line that's just a mic drop type of line where you see all the whole movie comes crashing together at once because of this statement right? You see the plot, you see how all the characters fit together, you see everything because this line has just been delivered. Well, that's what God's doing. He's about to, he's about to measure on the Richter scale, and this is how he measures. I am. I am. I am, which for God's people would have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's talking about Abraham and he's talking about Isaac and Jacob. He's talking about all these people and these patriarchs. He's going way back. And not only does he, not only does he start with I am, but then what's he follow up with? Look at verses one and two. I am the Lord, your God, meaning I am your sovereign. You are my subject. That has the overtones of creation and creator. And not only I am, and the Lord your God, but he continues, I am your liberator from death, the death of bondage, the misery of oppression, and the meaningless of chaos. You see, these next 10 words, or these next 10 laws, have life-altering, worldwide, cosmic effect. Why? Because of the person who said it because the person who registered it into history. So what is it that we actually see from the Ten Commandments? What is it that we actually see from the Ten Commandments? You've probably heard a million sermons preached on the Ten Commandments, and trust me, I feel the weight of that, because I'm like, what am I going to say that you haven't already heard I want you to see three invitations this morning from the Ten Commandments. We usually don't think of the word invitation when we think of the Ten Commandments. I want you to see three invitations in the Ten Commandments. The first is the invitation to what we really want and need. The invitation to what we really want and need, and I'll go ahead and give you the answer, it's Him. Look at verses 3 through 11. God is about to show his people that what they really want and need is to be enamored with him in the same way he's enamored with them. Right? Look in verse 3. You don't need other gods who can't love you back. What you really want, what you're really wanting is him. Look at verse 4. You don't want to worship something that can't receive your love and affection and praise. What you need is to worship someone that can not only receive it but also wants to share it with you. Whoa. Look at verse 7. You don't need to curse me when life doesn't go your way. What you want is to see how I'm using these things in your life and in creation to bring about renewal and hope and glory. Look at verse eight. You don't need to go, go, go. I mean, man, you don't need to go, go, go. And do, 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 as if that brought some sort of satisfaction and value to your life. Because here's the reality. That's what all of your idols demand. Every one of them demand that you go, 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 do, do, do. And what does Jesus say? What does God say? You need to work and you need to rest in me. You see that? God's inviting his people to what they really need most, what they really want the most, which is him. And so when Jesus responds to the lawyer Pharisee in Matthew chapter 22, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? What we really want and need most is to love God with everything that we are. And God's inviting us. He's freeing us from sin to love him it's the same it's the same invitation he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden you see these first four commandments have echoes of Eden and if you look at verses 12 through 17 with me it's more the same you don't need autonomous independence What we need is to respect authority with wisdom and with honor, especially when it looks like God. Verse 13, you don't need to get angry and therefore hate. You need to trust that I'm the just and the justifier. Verse 14, you don't need someone else's spouse Or to even think of the opposite sex lustfully. Because that person or that union reflects me. Look at verse 15 and 17. You don't need to take another stuff or his or her dignity or even want their stuff. What you need is to be content and satisfied and discover joy in me rather than those things you see God has freed his people he's inviting them he's inviting us to himself it's an invitation to fall into the original design with which we were created to live in the love of God and to live in to live for the love of others It's not just just an invitation, though, to what we really want and need. It's also an invitation to be unmasked. These laws, these rules, these words are an invitation uh, to be unmasked. How do you respond or relate to rules? And listen, this this applies to everyone in this room. It doesn't matter if you're two or if you're ninety-two okay? How do you respond or relate to rules? Do some rules apply to others, but they don't apply to you? Do you break rules more often than you keep them? Little ones, if mom or dad say, don't do that, do you find ways to do it unnoticed? Just so you know that that shoe fits both ways, mom and dad, do you use rules to control instead of bless? You see, what's your relationship uh, with uh, rules? Uh, Do you wish there were no rules so that you had no restraint? What would this world be like if we didn't have rules? What kind of chaos would uh, see? You see, we need rules to show us how messed up we really are. Rules unmask and reveal our blemishes and our impurities. And when we're unmasked and we see ourselves for who we are, it only enhances the beauty of God's grace. Because he's moving toward people that are unmasked and impure and unholy. And so God's law is an invitation to be unmasked. Being unmasked is uncomfortable, you know that. It's uncomfortable grace when we're exposed and we're left open and we're vulnerable. And yet it's a vulnerability that we're also, when we're unmasked, we're also invited into another story. That's the third invitation, that we're invited into a story. Rules can never be disconnected from the story of pursuing love. As Israel is preparing to enter the promised land, you could find this in the first first six, seven chapters of Deuteronomy. As Israel is headed into the promised land, when you get to chapter 5, God says, hey, stop. Stop. I'm going to remind you of my laws so that as you enter this land, you kind of know what we're headed toward. And so he reminds them of this very passage in Exodus chapter 20 in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 6, what you see is God saying to every parent, hey, you got to teach your generations these rules, but you don't teach them the rules in a disconnected way from the story. So every time you say, every time you teach your children these rules, people in the Old Testament, Israel, would have thought, okay, but we got to tell the story of the Exodus. We got to tell the story of deliverance and from our bondage. I'll give you one of my own stories. Um, And before I go down this road, please understand... (laughs) God uses pastors' children to shine grace into their heart and their life. So when I tell you this story, I don't want you to think of my family as perfect because all you have to do is go talk to them and you'll find out the opposite. Okay? Rather, I want you to see how God uses my family in my life. Holden and I were on the way home from school one day. And uh, he was recounting his day, and 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 he recounted to me um, that some uh, some boys on the play, playground had been really mean to his best friend. You, you know what that's like. Uh, you you've either experienced that, or your children have experienced that. Um, the boys had been really mean uh, to Holden's best friend, and he's recounting what they did, and. Of course, I'm listening, and we get to the end, and and this visceral, emotive response comes out, and Holden says, I hate them. And of course, being the good father that I am, the good pastor that I am, I said to Holden, oh, buddy, we don't hate, right? God actually calls us to love our enemies, and he tells us that when we get angry and when we hate, that we're actually committing murder. Now, keep in mind, I had no clue that Holden had actually studied this part of the Sermon on the Mount in Sunday school the week before. And so I'm pastoring my son oh so well. He says to me, but dad, does that mean you murder me when you say you hate when I don't listen? Now, it would have been preferable that I be run over by the vehicle that I'm driving, right? <laughs> Instead of be driving it. It took me a few miles to kind of <sighs> regain my composure. And I was able to kind of mutter out some, something like, man, buddy, it kind of seems like we all struggle with hate, don't we? And as we pulled into the driveway, the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, through my fourth grader at the time, shined into that truck like I've never seen before. And Holden said, Dad, it's okay. Because Jesus took all the hate so that we can learn how to love. Now, don't go talk to him about it after church because he didn't even remember it when I told him yesterday. (laughs) Okay? Friends, you and I both know. You and I both know, as well as the parents of Deuteronomy 6 knew, that there is no way we can keep these commandments. There is no way we can keep them no matter how hard we try. But there was one kid... There was one kid that when Mary and Joseph read the law to him, he said, I got it. I got it. I got every ounce of it. And not only did he say, I got it, but he knew that obedience to his heavenly father and obedience to his earthly father would get him hated. It would earn him hatred. And not only did that full obedience to every ounce of the law, not only would it earn him hatred, but it would earn him crucifixion so that he could fulfill the even greater exodus, freeing us from our greatest bondage to our greatest love. Friends, Jesus' love is without reservation. Let that sink in on you. Jesus' love is without reservation. He's purchased us at the greatest price, freeing us completely from our sin and death. Let, let these truths ring true for you. We've been set free from the trafficking nature of sin. We've been set free from the trafficking nature of sin. Don't you want to follow him and his love towards the table, towards learning obedience? That's what he invites us to. Freedom from our sin, freedom to his body and blood.